You are tuned in to the Sparkles and Fairy Lights podcast. Imogen Campbell is your host and she will tackle issues that tend to sneak up on one and wreak havoc on the unprepared midlife soul. If you are in your 20s or 30s, feel free to join the conversation and be ignorant no more. Hello to you. If this is the first time you're tuning in or if you're familiar with the Sparkles and Fairy Lights podcast, welcome back. Today, we discuss keeping cool in the heat. Are you facing a firestorm of a crisis? How will you handle it? In a calm, surrendered and truthful way, or are you going to take the lash out route or will you simply walk away? Are you going to stick to your guns, compromise or do nothing? As you can well imagine, a measured approach is needed not to get caught up in the heat of the moment allow stress to raise your blood pressure and make your blood boil and additionally keep those hormones in check so you don't dissolve into a puddle of tears while under fire in other words we talk about how to maintain balance and protect boundaries when it is needed the most when you're taking the heat put on your seat belts we're going for a hellish ride with the boss unfortunate but necessary as it ties in so perfectly with the biblical reference and I hope that it will be infinitely clear how it all fits. Am I against bosses? No. I've had my share over the years and each one has imparted special insights and knowledge to me. Although, granted, I have child with some more than others. As much as I'm an introvert and like working on my own, there is something special about working in a great team and being fired up in a good way by inspirational leadership, as well as knowledgeable and likable colleagues. I get a kick from seeing work done as a collective that could never be done by an individual alone. There is something so beautiful in that, and it is worth fighting for. But what if the leader of the pack is not so cool, unsure of their ability, and as a result, insecure in said role? Can a healthy team be built on that foundation? We know that adage, a fish rot from the head, right? Can a few well-placed right-hand men and women make a difference? Let's find out. Let me introduce you to some fictitious characters that will surely drive the point home. Meet Gareth, an effusively charming young man who loves an adrenaline rush. You can find him anywhere testosterone is on full display. He is a typical millennial, super confident, dressed to the T, ambitious the lot. The upper echelon see him as a mover and a shaker. He is the face of the future, a valuable member of the team in every way, and the big guns have great plans for him. And he knows it. Gareth's weakness is ironically that he can't bear weakness in others. He's been known to have a short fuse and throw a temper tantrum on or two. On occasion, has even been known to leave a few co-workers in tears. He's just been promoted to Cassie's division and she's petrified. You see, Cassie as a mother of one and has been a widow for a number of years now and she's no longer as energetic as before. Now that she's in her 40s, no mood for pretense or for nonsense and she has definitely earned her stripes after being with the company for 15 years. But she sure didn't see this emotional roller coaster ride coming. You see, Gareth is Mr. Perfect. I did nothing wrong is his assumed mantra and he seemingly oozes that self-possessed charm that disarms others. 
He has built a reputation of near never being wrong. And annoyingly, it's true. He's often right on stuff. Recently, Cassie found herself being unable to sleep very well and reacting from a very run-down, tired space. The insomnia was getting to her. She reckoned it was the thought of sending her son off to university and wondering whether her savings would be depleted. Her future and the added realities of layoffs, redundancies and retrenchments that were the order of the day. She had heard rumors that the bosses were considering streamlining the staff at her company and this further ramped up her anxiety. Gareth coming over to their team just compounded her fears, made her more jittery than usual. But she told herself that she just needed to work hard, grin and bear it, and importantly, get on with Gareth. Bizarrely, there was yet an additional layer to her anxiety. She had started to have crazy pounding headaches out of the blue, swollen feet, weird vibrating shocks, and was generally poorly. She couldn't explain it. But what was most concerning was the lapses of memory. She sometimes sounded like a complete idiot. At the time, she had to be the most command of a job. She could understand why her new boss gave her the side eye, and she sensed he didn't trust her on key projects. And alarmingly, her expertise was being called on less and less, driving her to panic. And she was panicking more often now too. Gareth was a stickler for all things tech and shortcuts in any form were high on his list to promote efficiency on the job. She was quick, had always been, but somehow she was, she was lagging behind. She felt a little dowdy next to him too, and he made mention of her outfits in a roundabout way once. Said that he wanted a team that was young and dynamic. Where was she going to get the clothes? He often made comments about the fact that he was so young to be the incumbent of his position. He made disparaging comments of other senior personnel and older members of the staff behind their backs. It did not sit well with her. But he was charming in their presence and to them he was the epitome of fantastic leader. Not too long into his tenure, she discovered that he had some skeletons in his cupboard. Despite the you, what you see is what you get, bravado. Oddly, at some point, he had started to take her into his confidence. From being his unwitting confidant, it was quite clear that Gareth was a deceitful man. One who also liked to encroach on her time. All the time. She was almost constantly in his office. He liked to see what she was doing as she was doing it. The pressure was on. It wasn't her style, and she often worked late to catch up with all he demanded. Inadvertently, this pitted her against her other colleagues who were increasingly becoming uncomfortable with the situation. Other colleagues did not like him either, and though they liked that she kept him at bay and away from them, they felt that the two were too cozy. As a result, she found herself isolated and unable to express herself. She felt invisible with no voice. But inside, her emotions were churning and her gut was screaming. Something was so wrong with this facade. One day though, she vehemently disagreed with him on the direction of a passion project. He refused to listen to her and kicked her off one of the projects she loved the most and from which she derived comfort amid all the turbulence at work. She was heartbroken. 
her project was handed to the young, dynamic and upcoming. She heard nothing more about the project until the day she received an invitation to hear Gareth present the work to the company's seniors and top brass from abroad, no less. It was slick, an ode to sophistication, in a sense, and all things tech and modern, but it was a terrible concept and she knew it. She had, after all, advised against it. She kept her head down to avoid eye contact and kept scribbling. All of a sudden, Gareth bellowed and called on her to explain why she had dropped the proposal. She was thrown into the fire and under the bus, completely stunned and looked at him in disbelief. His eyes were glaring angrily at her, daring her to disagree with him publicly. She was on the spot, her face flushed and with a split second to figure out what she was going to do. She knew that there are always consequences for everything in life. She weighed up whether she could live with herself if she took the fall for this and whether her passion project would move forward as a result or be shelved. She made up her mind. She decided to tell the truth, even if it got her fired. She told the senior execs and the top brass that she had been removed from the project months before. Why she had disagreed with the approach presented and then told them what the merits of her approach were. Her boss was spitting daggers. She could feel the anger emanating from him. There was a deadly silence in the room as she boldly outlined her robust strategy and passionately persuaded them about her point of view. As she concluded, she waited anxiously for the vilification that she thought would surely come, the denial, the affront, but instead, she was met with questioning stares and interested gestures. Fired proper or readmitted to the project? Been in that situation before? You sensed something was wrong, but you dared not speak up? You dared not be honest? You found yourself in a situation where you enabled others by taking their consequences and as a result, were unable to stand up to people who were not in your corner, even though they purported to be so. Then one day you did and there were consequences. Once again, we turn to the Bible to get a biblical perspective. Let's start the story in Daniel chapter 1. We meet our unlikely protagonists, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were Hebrews of noble birth, living in captivity in Babylon. Foreigners in the minority, knowing all too well that they did not belong. Let's move on to the pivotal crux of the story in Daniel 2, verse 48 and 49. We hear more about them after Daniel, the great prophet of God, interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Unquote. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Wise men emphasis added. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Seems like not everyone was pleased about Daniel and the three noblemen's promotions because it set in motion something quite despicable. But let's look at the text and do a quick run through of the first verses in chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold and decided to hold a dedication ceremony. He summoned all of his officials. Then I will quote the Bible on what happens next in chapter 3 verse 4 to 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, 
nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now the Jews, the Hebrews, the intrepid three noblemen as mentioned earlier, did not bow down to the statue he had set up. They were obedient to their God and would not bow down to man. Even if that man was king of their adopted country and their lives and livelihoods hung in the balance. Playing with fire for sure here. Verses 8 to 12 describe it as follows. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. My, my, where there's a smoke, there's a fire. The scene set revealed foreign men who loved their god and it was clear they would not compromise to the chagrin of others. Notice who was finding fault in the scenario, the astrologist. In verse 12, we are given a hint as to why. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Let's take a look at whose bacon was saved and whose hide was almost tanned in chapter 2. Take a moment to read chapter 2 verses 10 to 13. I read it now. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. The text reveals a ruthless king with a short fuse who knew what he wanted and fully planned on getting it. He had murderous intent and had no qualms about executing it, pun intended, a dangerous man. Into this walks a man of God, Daniel, and by revealing the king's dream as enabled by God, literally saved this bunch from death. But so eager were some of them to point out these noblemen's inactivity, somehow they forgot to return the favor, and in fact wanted the same fate for these three men. What could possibly be at the heart of such actions? But let's keep reading verses 13 to 15. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. 
then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? A king in full flight of anger, in no mood for any posturing or reasoning, no filibustering for this one. All that these three noblemen seemed to do was add fuel to the fire. He was enraged and had only one thing in mind, a blazingly hot fiery furnace. He planned to have them thrown in to end what seemed like treasonous disobedience. It came down to whose God they would serve and it was clear that it was not the gods of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was furious. But what he did not foresee was that the God of the universe was in control of the situation. So one would have expected Nebuchadnezzar to know better considering he'd already had a miraculous brush with the living God recorded in Daniel 2. One of the most courageous awe-inspiring utterance of men in the face of the wrath of a king, utterances which undoubtedly incurred his ire further, are recorded next. Let's read verse 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Ouch. If it were me, I was going to sugarcoat this for sure. They had certainly jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Talk about burning your bridges. The king was clearly incensed and the Bible reveals that his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. What would you have done? What could they have done? He then commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them in the furnace. It would appear that they no longer got on like a house on fire. So fired up were they on their stones on God that it seemingly was about to get them smoked. Roasted, toasted, whatever. Let's read verses 22 together. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Shoo. I always wondered whether God could have saved these valiant men before it got to this point. But I think that it would probably not have made it into the Bible otherwise. Because look what happened next in verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and fourth looks like a son of the God. The long and short of it is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire unharmed. You don't see that every day. The wise men, the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Verse 27, and I quote, And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. A miracle has surely taken place. The king exclaimed the following, verses 28 and 29. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego, who were sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. What a turn of events! And then, can you guess what happened next? Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Ah, that old adage goes, it's always darkest before the dawn. These men were convicted about their faith and nothing would stop them from obeying God. When it looked like the chips were seriously down and that there was no way that they were going to make it out alive, God came to the rescue. Sometimes we find ourselves having to stay calm in the heat when fiery circumstances threaten to engulf us and get us down. Well, not six feet quite. But we find ourselves depressed, hopeless, anxious, undermined, undervalued, overlooked, and not taken care of. But God sees and acts when he deems it to be the right time. I always say that God acts a bit late for my liking. I like to see how things are going to pan out way in advance. Not teeter on the edge like that. But that's not faith, is it? One day, if I ever get to chat to these men in the heavenlies, I'd like to ask them what they really thought when they were being thrown into the fire. Toast? Taking a grilling? I bet they were certainly not grinning. And when they found themselves free and walking in the same fire, how cool was that, eh? It's like Peter walking on water in a storm in a way. I do not recall reading about any, anyone else surviving a blazing furnace quite like this, ever. I wonder if they woke up during the night just reliving it and grinning in the dark. What did they think when they encountered the fourth person? It says it looked like the son of the gods, an angel. There's been so much speculation regarding the identity of this fourth person. But can you imagine hobnobbing even for a brief moment? with his being in an impossibly hot fire and then escape with no sign of being singed a miraculous momentous moment for sure what a day what a god do you think that their faith was strengthened that day what do you think the gang around them thought they were aware that some among them had sold them out and now these three were promoted awkward something else that stood out for me is this sometimes in life we have no guarantees something that these men seem to have come to terms with, clear from reading their response to the king. They were willing to die for what they believed in, yet, despite acknowledging it, clung on in faith nonetheless. And did God deliver? Not quite fireworks, but with as much if not more fanfare. Fire certainly worked to get the point across here. They were dealing with the one who had once been in a pillar of cloud and fire. See Exodus 13, 21. In a wilderness, taking out an Egyptian army and throwing them into confusion. He knows a thing or two about fires. The all-knowing God is truly master of everything. As for the men of Babylon and for our fictitious lot, I do not doubt that there had to be some sort of truth-telling sessions in order for them to move things forward. To figure out when the ability to be honest had been throttled and why. Conjecture on my part, yes but I cannot imagine it being any other way. 
When you are tempted to lie, you keep quiet for fear or unjust reprisal. Why? What is commendable from this passage of scripture is the ability of these three men to speak truth to power, to stand up for their beliefs and keep real cool under fire. The lessons I learned are that you have to remain true to your values, belief in the true God and your gut. Anytime those are threatened, you end up compromising and it leaves you empty and violates your own boundaries. These men have given me a powerful illustration of how to do it when it matters the most. I tend to be a people pleaser and tend to want to keep the peace, quote unquote. I am not a huge fan of conflict. That is why I often feel the urge to sugarcoat things, make things more palatable. I see none of it here. However, I have to note and point out that it was a life and death situation. Not everything is quite as intense. There are times when brutal honesty is important and it requires a huge amount of discernment to know when. On the other hand, it is also important to win people over diplomatically. As I said, discernment is required. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for listening. I bid you adieu on this rather fired up note, but reassure you that we will definitely be revisiting the book of Daniel again before the end of the season. Once again, thank you for joining me. God willing, chat to you next Tuesday at 3. Thank you for lending an ear. If you are new, consider subscribing. And if you feel inclined, please leave a review or let me know your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter.